0: Thing about um, you know success and you know most successful people at one time or another, like like in terms of successful and, and people we know of, have like a, generally have a quote or something they've made and people people look at that and you know these quotes give us a little bit bit of insight into how they think about success and and how they they prepare for things. Um, so Benjamin Franklin goes, so for the, he's one of the founding fathers of the, of the US. Um, he's also a famous scientist. And the inventor said, um, by failing to prepare, you are preparing to fail. Um, so a lot of people who, who work in projects, I know there's a couple around, we always hear that sort of thing. Um, so success for him uh, comes about through preparing. Um, another one, Robert Baden-Powell, who was the founder of the Scout Movement, uh, he says a scout is never taken by surprise. He knows exactly what to do when anything unexpected happens. Um, so, and we know the scout. Most of us know the scout motto: be be prepared. Um, here's another one about being being prepared. This is Pele, who uh, Brazilian soccer player. At one point, was the, the greatest football um, player in, in the world. Um, potentially, others have, have surpassed him now. Um But he said, I always had a philosophy which I got from my father. He used to say, listen, God gave to you the gift to play football. This is your gift from God. If you take care of your health, if you are in good shape all the time with your gift from God, no one will stop you. But you must be prepared. So, you know, despite his natural talent, you know, Pelé acknowledged that there were things he had to do to, to be prepared for, things that, you know, could be unexpected on the soccer field. He can just take his, his gift for granted. Um, we see being prepared in, in business is important as well. Um, in an area I work at, I work in a bank, there's a, a business area I work with that's purely... Um, their focus is anticipating and preventing things happening um, which are not good for the bank or not good good for customers. So it's called, it's called risk management. Um, and they spend a lot of time um, trying to find appropriate ways to prepare for things that could go go bad um, yeah, of, and, and how how to respond to those things if they if things do go go wrong um, in my own life um, so a lot of you know I, I cycle uh, a bit, and you know in the sport of cycling. One of the things cyclists really um, kind of aspire to is he, trying to climb up a mountain and do it really well, do it as fast as possible. And um, you know, the, the steepness and the length of the climb um, contributes to the difficulty of the climb. And and there's even a, there's even a term for for how well or how quickly you can do it. Um, some of you guys may have heard it, King of the Mountain. And so if you've achieved that and you, you become the King of the Mountain, your efforts recorded as the oh, you know. In cycling, community, world, oh, you yeah, know, who's got the KOM? You know, who's the king of the mountain? And it's similar similar, the same concept as if you've got to win a gold medal for some sort of sporting event. Um, but even in cycling, you, know, you you prepare for things and you you anticipate that. Yeah, you know, I'm going to go on a route, and, and there's a climb I need to do, and the work that you do to become better on on that mountain doesn't occur when you're on the mountain. It occurs beforehand and so there's things that you do when you you train to prepare for that um you know you you think about how you cycle and and your cadence and getting a very comfortable cadence making sure you use the right gears you know so you don't be pushing something too hard because you just get too tired um and and learning just to be relaxed on the bike and, and there's a whole range of Things like that, and sitting up so that you can get air into your rib cage. Because if you crouched over, you can't get oxygen in. Um, but all of those things happen as part of training, as part of preparation. They don't actually happen once you're in the middle of the thing trying to get up that mountain. And then hopefully, then when you do go out and you do climb up this mountain, you've done the training, you've, you've put the, the prep in that you, you're up to, to deal with it. So, in all these situations we we talk about being prepared now, if it's so important to prepare in in life and in business or in sport, how much more important is it to be prepared in in our Christian walk and be prepared for things which are unexpected? now, the second epistle of Peter um, is really about being about being prepared um it's about being aware of the specific challenges and issues facing the church, so the believer can be prepared. Now, we're not going to do all of Peter. We're just going to look at chapter three today. But Peter knew that his days were numbered. He knew that the Lord had revealed to him that he was going to be crucified, that he was going to he was going to die, and so he writes this letter to the church to warn them about challenges and issues that are going to come up. Because as a pastor, as a shepherd's heart, he knows that when he goes, when he dies, there's going to be a degree of protection that he offers at the moment that he's not going to be around anymore. Now God's faithful and God protected his church and hey, we're here and we're evidence that God's sustained the church. But he's writing this letter going, guys, beware of this stuff and, and be prepared. And you know, the sad thing is the problems that he warned the church about then didn't decrease, actually increased. And so things like false prophets and rejection of prophecy and things that were promised in, through the scriptures, people came in, no, that's not going to happen. And we're going to look at some of that stuff today, chapter 3. So chapter 3 is basically um, made up of two parts. Uh, the first part of it is just about the, the Lord's delay and about his coming, his second coming, um, and the second part's about the Lord's day. So if you haven't heard, haven't heard about the Lord's day. We're going to study a little bit of the Lord's day today. Um, but while we study through these things, you know, my exhortation to you guys today is about is about an exhortation is to be aware and be prepared. Okay, so let's let's get into it. Yeah. It helps if I probably turn to the scripture as well and read through it. All right. Uh, Beloved, so chapter 3 starting verse 1. Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Saviour. Stir up your pure minds, Um, sometimes we don't like to be stirred up, do we? We like to be, we're very comfortable, we like just, ah, things are good. But God wants to stir us up. But he doesn't want to stir up our impure minds, because sometimes we do have, there's an impure side of us. He wants to stir up our our pure minds. What does that mean? The things that are focused on him, the areas in our life where he wants to take us and challenge us and activate those areas that we haven't given to him, he wants to stir those things up so he can do something with us, which is pretty cool, right? Look at this. Look, look, look. You, know, you guys look at me. I look at you and go, "Would you stir these people up?" Absolutely. But he loves us. He wants to stir us up. But by way of reminder, and you know, what's the best way to remember something? It's by repetition. You know, we do it when we with the kids. You know, we we sing and go through verses and we repeat things. And we do it through, as we study the scripture, you know, we don't study a piece of scripture and go, yeah, we're done with it, no, what, let's go to the next thing. But we come back and we meditate on it, and we sing songs, and sometimes, yeah, maybe we do sing songs often, one song too many times. But we do it because there's truth in it, and, and, and we want to think about the Lord and do things that remind us of, of Him, okay? And we do it, be, not just but we remember, but we want the things that we learn to become part of it, our natural life. We want that just to be a natural way of how we we walk. We walk in the Lord. So don't be afraid, you guys, to share Scripture with me and think, "Oh, I don't know if I shared this with Phil before," because you know what? The Lord might be using you guys to remind me about something in my life that I need to hear about. And you know, I think it's precious when we share Scripture. You know, such truth, and and we we're, we're all we're all blessed when it happens. But here Peter wants to emphasise um, what they should show, or sorry, what they should know in light of the coming of Jesus and the prophecies surrounding His coming. All right, so he's about to stir them up and remind them of these things, and he's reminding them of these things because these things were mentioned in the Old Testament and these things were mentioned referenced by Jesus Christ. So they're not new truths; these are reminders of things that, that people have already spoken about. Okay. Knowing, okay, where are we up to you? Oh, some, for some reason I've lost my, the numbers against my verses. Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. So knowing this first, that scoffers will come, and come in the last days. In the last days there will be people who will scoff and who will mock about whether Jesus is going to come back. And they're going to make fun, they're going to laugh and ridicule church, and they're going to go, well, you know, Jesus, yeah, he was a great guy, yeah, and I know you guys are saying he's going to come back, but what's this kingdom of God stuff? Really, he going to come back? It's been 2,000 years, you guys are still here, you're still singing the same stuff, reading the same stuff. And they mock and they laugh. And we're in great company, right? Because Noah, he had a ministry of 120 years. Actually, more than that. Well, when you think about that, he, Noah's father, Lamech, and I think his father before that, uh, Methuselah, back to Enoch, there was almost, I think, about a 1,000 years where, and we read about Enoch you know, in the Scriptures, where he was, he was a prophet, um, where Enoch said, hey, God's going to send judgment and named his son Methuselah, which means his death will bring, um, basically, judgment. And we see from Enoch through the line down to Noah, the world was warned leading up to the flood, but at the end of that roughly 1,000 years, only eight people got saved. But through that time, I can imagine Noah being mocked for what God had called him to do, and people going, "Well, that's a nice thing you're building, but it's never rained before. What's his rain stuff? It's never rained before." Um, and Noah's going, "Well, God told me to do it. God's going to send some rain. He's going to flood the earth. He's going to destroy this planet, destroy the earth." And people would have mocked him. So we're in, we're in good company when people mock us about things that we believe. Okay. Um. But we shouldn't be surprised, partly because Peter told us that there would be scoffers. Um, But we should also be encouraged because every time a scoffer denies the truth of Jesus Christ and his return, he's really just helping confirm the truth that Peter's talking about. And um, and in fact, the the scoffing just really confirms that the return of Jesus Christ is even closer because Peter goes, hey, there'll be scoffers and mockers in the last days. And so if we experience mockers and scoffers, we go, aha. We're in the last days, okay? Definitely, and and Jesus Christ, His His return is closer, which means I, it's gonna be closer for when I spend eternity with Him in heaven. So that's fantastic, all right. I know it's uncomfortable when we get mocked and, and, and scoffed, um, but there is, there's there's a plus to it. Um, continuing that in that passage, um, walking according to their own lusts, so these scoffers are walking according to their own lusts. So, it's not just an intellectual issue these people have with, with the scriptures. It's a, it's a hard thing. It's to do with their own desire to say, hey, I don't want a sovereign God who has authority over me. And so, if I mock and scoff and deny that Christ is going to return, and we're going to talk a little bit about Christ's return and things like that, um, then I don't need to deal with the fact that there's going to be judgment. And I'm going to be held accountable for my for my sin. Um, okay, so it's so it's a, it's an intellectual thing as well as a a heart thing. Um, and when we see that, you know, we we see people who, and it's not just about the, the return of Jesus Christ. It's a whole range of things where people want to reject what Scripture says because people are just are uncomfortable feeling accountable. Um, and, and yeah. But thankfully, thankful in our lives, right? Thankfully, God made us feel you know, exposed the guilt of our sin and our need for Him, and, and showed us how how to get saved. Um, but there are people still who who, who don't want that. Um, so that skepticism, that cynicism, is the result of man's desire to want to walk after their own lusts. Uh, they want to live in their in ways that are base and animal like, not submitting to a sovereign God. And yeah, you, you see I don't know if you've ever driven by in a car and you've seen you know, that Christian fish and, and kind of the atheists of the evolutionists have taken it and have stuck a couple of like feet under it to just, just to make fun of it. Um, because you know, Darwin's theory, you know, removes that the, the idea of a creator and, and that someone that they were all ultimately accountable accountable to. Okay. And people want to continue in the self centered behaviour. Alright, so these scoffers go, "Where is the promise of His coming?" And um, yeah, two thousand years can 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 seem can seem like a long time. And we're going to talk. There's a couple of verses that that, where Peter addresses that. Um, But you know, remember, God, look, He keeps His promises, even though sometimes we don't keep our promises. Um, You know, we read in Revelation nineteen eleven that. You know, the, the rider on the the white horse, the first horse that comes out, the rider is given the title faithful and true. And as you read those verses, you go, ah, oh, that's Jesus Christ. There's a sword coming out of his mouth. It's the word of God. Um, so yeah, Revelation nineteen eleven says, and I saw heaven open to behold a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. Um, so we know. Jesus is coming back because he said he would, and he's faithful and true. All right. So what else do the scoffers say? They say, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Okay. So they say, look, life went on, and life just continues to go on. God doesn't intervene. God, God just doesn't deal with us in this world. He's, he's out there, and he may have created us, but life persists. And this is an important idea because this thing is called uniformitarianism. It's a very long word, uniformitarianism, which means that the things that we experience now and, and how the world operates now is how the world act, operated back then. Okay, So we look at the ecology and biology and go, oh, okay, we can observe how you know, thing, things grow and how fast things grow. And people go, oh, well, that's exactly how things were at you the know, time of our Noah or, or way back when. Um, but there's an issue with, with that that idea. Um, it's We don't really know how the ecology was really around the time of Noah or even at the time of creation. Things have changed so significantly um, that we really can't make big assumptions. Now what happens is that people who, who take that view of, hey, things have have never really changed since, since back then. Um, and, and atheists really, I think, well, sorry, I should say evolutionists, really tend to hang on to this thing because they look at the, the geological record, the geology, and they look at the layers and look at fossils and all that stuff, and they go, well, if we, what we observe now, if we apply that to what we see in the geology, the Earth has to be millions of years old. and If the Earth's millions of years old, well, the Earth can't be that young Therefore, the biblical account of creation and how long history is can't be correct, which is which is not right. Um, Because when you look at things like carbon dating, um, which has a lot of assumptions built into it, how carbon um, is transferred from trees to the atmosphere and to, to kind of living organisms, you know, yeah, sure. If you look at how things operate today and you apply that, maybe you'd extrapolate this long time frame, but the ecology would have been completely different then. So there's things with which are built into so called scientific methods that I think we need to be smart about and understand a little bit about. I don't think necessarily we need to go, you know, go and study that to, to make sense of it all. Um, but there you know, the Bible's true and the Bible is the basis for which we, we live our lives. And you know, science will as science develops and science learns and co- uncovers more things, more and more will show us that, you know what, there are things the Bible said that, you know actually scientifically were true. Often we look at things that happen in science and, and try to go, oh, well, that proves the Bible's correct. Rather than saying, hey, the Bible is correct, we just need sometimes science and, and the, the ability to understand science to catch up to what we learn in the Bible. Um, but but uniformitarianism is a thing scoffers will, will say. Hey, God, God doesn't intervene. Um, he He may have created you, but that that's as far as it is. Um, let's continue. For this they willfully forget that by the word of God the heavens were revolved and the earth standing out of water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. So, scoffers will um, willfully forget, um, intentionally forget that um, God had sent widespread judgment on, on the earth before, um, and, and what? So what the scoffers are trying to say is, "Hey, I've never seen a judgment before. If I haven't seen one before, why do I think God's going to send one again? Hey, we're fine. God, and you know, if God hasn't sent one and I haven't seen one, well, you know what? God's merciful and He's long-suffering. So hey, I'm not going to get judged. And we know that's not true because we know about Noah." Um, and there's enough evidence about Noah across different, you know, in our Tuesday night home group, we've been going through Genesis, um, we've just been studying through, um, just got through Noah, actually, a couple of chapters on Noah. But, you know, there's enough evidence to indicate that there was a global ta- catastrophe, a flood, all ancient civilizations have an account of one. Um, but the scoffer goes, no, nah, that didn't exist, um, and I didn't experience it, therefore, God's not going to come back and judge. Um, so, you know, literal belief in, in creation and Adam and Eve, and the was flood. You know, for us, they're pretty, pretty foundational things. Um, but the other thing that we've been reading about in Genesis is that um, a lot of what happens in Genesis is a shadow of things that are to come. And not just in... Um, in the immediate life of the, the church or even with Israel, but even in some of the patterns and the mothers that are set up and what's going to happen in Revelation and, and some of that stuff, which is pretty it's pretty cool. I've, I've enjoyed it. Um, okay. That by the word of God, the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. Um so the Bible clearly teaches it was, it was God's spoken word that brought creation into existence. I mean, yeah, for, you know, we know Genesis 1 and all the, the, the let there be's. Um, God spoke and creation came into being. Um, but that's not the only thing that God did with his word Okay, when he spoke and affected creation. It's um, going on, it says here, but the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Um so post the great flood you know it's still God's word that his word that sustains the earth that sustains the, the heavens um, and we read in, in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 we read that Jesus upholds all things by the, the word of his power um, so that's Hebrews 1 3 so God is still personally involved in all aspects of, of his created world despite what the scoffers may say um but this creation is destined for destruction by fire, according to this verse, on the day that God will judge and punish ungodly men. Um, that is, so those who've rejected Him and are not relying on God's righteousness for their salvation, um, on that day, God will, God will destroy um, the heavens and the earth as, as we we know it. So what Peter is saying, he's saying that if God judged the earth and mankind once already because of man's sinfulness, then there is no reason why he wouldn't judge the earth and mankind again because of sinfulness. Um and he has to, he's a holy God, okay? He has to judge he has to judge judge sin, okay? He's a righteous God. Um if he didn't judge sin, that would make him unrighteous. It's not fair, is it? Um it's just that we have a hard time dealing with that because he's perfect and his his standard is his righteousness. And so, unfortunately, you know, in terms of judgment, we all end up on the, the wrong side of the fence, which is why we need to rely on his righteousness to end up on the right side of the fence, okay? The right side of, the, of judgment. Um, so people shouldn't scoff at God's apparent lack of action. Um, but when it does happen, it will, be, it will be via the word of God again. So just God's word. Um, so it's just the power behind that. But reading on, But beloved... Um, So that's us, we're the the beloved, okay? Do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, And the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burnt up. All right. So that with the Lord, one day is a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. So God's not bound by time. Okay. So God, it's not that God has endless time. God's outside of time. Time is a constraint that we experience here in our three-dimensional physical world. But God is outside of that. And that's why he can see the beginning and the end. Because he doesn't have to wait for things to happen, he's, he just he can look and be like, "Oh, okay." Um, which should should be really assuring for us when he promises things and says, "Hey, I'm going to save you," or "I'm going to complete a good work in you." In, from Philippians, how do you know that God? Well, because he can see the he's outside now he can see where we're going to end up. Um, but knowing that he, we know he's also then going to be faithful to keep us, as he says in Philippians, okay. Um, so he's outside of time, he's not constrained, um, but he also sees time with a perspective that we lack. Um, so even though he can step back and he can see the whole picture, he can also step in and look at the detail of time, okay? you can look at the minute second, minute seconds, um, but he doesn't just do that with time, he can do that with space, through the three dimensions that we kind of exist in, and so on one hand, he's this fantastic or this awesome God, but on the other hand, is there's this God that takes great delight in, in the detail and, and the minutia, the, the intricate details of, of our life. Um, but because God, but so back to this thing about a thousand years. Um, but because God dwells in eternity, um, so for him. There is neither, there's no past, present, or, or future. He just, he just is. And so when we, you know, we read in Exodus and he tells Moses what his name is, he says, I am, he can say he's I am because he can be all things to, that Moses needs. But the fact that he just exists and he doesn't have a past, present, or future, he just is, that, that name, name's perfect. I can't think of anyone else that you could. Superman comes close, but I think Jesus top, tops him. God tops him. Um, so we should look to, at the two thousand years that have elapsed since Jesus Christ descended into heaven as a sign that God is slack, because it seems long for us based on our our understanding of time. And, um, but to God, He work. He He has His own plans of how He operates. Um, I can't, I can't explain it. Okay. I'm struggling to explain this. Um, all right, let's keep going. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some count slackness, but he's long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So God will keep his promise according to his timing, but he desires that all should come to repentance. is that cool? He, he wants all to come to repentance. Now think about that. Um, he wants Muslims to come to repentance. He wants the gay community to come to repentance. He wants those people that persecute us at work and push our buttons and, and irritate us. He wants, he, yeah, he wants all of those guys to come to repentance. Often we don't. We just, think, you know, we've prejudged them. But he wants them to come to repentance. Um, and sometimes we, you know, because of our own sinfulness and our own trials and temptations, We kind of want to get out of here, don't we? We want to get out of this world and get to heaven. And Chris was talking about the goodies last week and all the goodies on this side, the goodies on that side. And we want the goodies, right? But, and and we want God to come back quickly. But when we think about this verse and we consider God's compassion and his long-suffering nature, and then we really think, wow, he delayed judgment to allow as many people to come to repentance as possible then that should really change my heart, should really change my attitude and how I think about people. And, and not just that, but then it should play out in, in my actions and, and, and how I live my life, my, my day-to-day life. So you know, imagine if God had come back, Christ had returned 5, 10, 50, maybe 50 years ago. Right? A lot of us here wouldn't have been saved. okay? A lot of us would have had to have gone through... The great tribulation, and then somehow through that have come to repentance. Very tough. So you think how God was gracious to us to not come back, to get, give us a chance to repent? Shouldn't we have that same attitude for, for those around us as much as we want to get to heaven? Okay. We want people, more people to come, come in. Um, yeah. So we mentioned, you know, people that we, yeah atheists God wants atheists to get get saved how cool is that um, he desires none should perish and yeah so if God's grace was made available to us then surely God's grace should be made available to them and he's going to tell them okay it's us we've been given the the, the gospel the good news to take out there it's, it's up to us so it should really lead us to pray. Um, like pray differently, maybe pray a little bit more intently. Um, God, help me to be patient and as long suffering as you are. Yeah. Help me to persevere faithfully as you have with, with me. Um, and help me desire that all souls would be saved, um, and that I would be strengthened in you. Um, it's pretty hard sometimes to say those prayers, isn't it? to say, hey, help me be patient and long suffering, help me to persevere faithfully, help me desire all souls to be saved. But you know what? They're the things that he wants us to pray for. And what's great is that when we pray those things, even though we're weak, because we know humanly, oh, gosh, I can't do that, he will strengthen us. He will help enable us to do that. And um, he will somehow, just supernaturally, through his Holy Spirit, help us to say the prayers, but not just say those things, but to, to live it. Okay, to love these people as as he loves them. Let's keep going. But the, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burnt up. All right, the day of the Lord, okay, is the start of the great tribulation. So let me set some, do some explanations. Okay, so there's a number of days mentioned in scripture. Okay, so. We know that, or, or, or key events, um, probably the first key event was like the day of man where creation, Adam and Eve sinned, or God gave, God gave, actually, well, no, God gave them dominion, control over the, over creation. Said, hey, manage this well, quit giving you this. Um, they blew it, right? Um, and, and you know, and going forward, we all blow it too, right? So we can't just blame Adam and Eve for screwing up. We screw up every day. Um, so there's a the day of man, and then we have um, when Christ comes back um, for His church. So there's the the day of Christ. So we read about that in First Thessalonians chapter four, verse sixteen to seventeen. All right. So it says the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Um, I don't know how that works if you have vertigo. God will sort that out. Um, But we're going to meet with him in the air um, for those who are the church. And the church gets presented as the bride, as the bride of Christ. So that's the day of Christ. So the day of the Lord is the next big event. Which is the start of the Great Tribulation. And we we can read about that in further detail in Matthew 24 and also in Revelation chapter 6. And it's when God intervenes in man's affairs um, and commences a reign of a thousand years, a a millennium. Um, And it's also, the day of the Lord's also mentioned in 1 Thessalonians um, chapter 5, verse 2. So if you're taking notes, chapter 4 in 1 Thessalonians talked about the day of Christ where, the, what we call the rapture, although the word rapture is not in Scripture, it's taken from the the, vulga, the Vulgate. I think it is the Latin um, to be snatched away, and it, the, the word's rap, rapturous. Um, but that's chapter four in First Thessalonians. Chapter five talks about the, the day of the Lord, and um, I think we start I can't remember whether, whether we studied Revelation here. Uh, or maybe maybe there was another one we did in home group um, the tribulation period is a, is a it's a terrible time that if you read it and you know what's going to happen it should spur us on to tell people more about Christ and what he's done for them so they can get the chance to be saved before that period happens okay now it talks about the heavens will pass away with the great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Um, and that's also mentioned in, in, in Revelation. Um, now, when these verses were written, it would have seemed inconceivable that all the elements could melt, that the earth and the heavens would, just, would, would melt. Um, however, you know, with the advent of nuclear energy the last, what, 70, 60 years, that's not such an inconceivable idea. Um, Atomic weapons, you know, they get to So like Hiroshima. The one of the, the bombs at, at on the ground level got to six thousand degrees Celsius. In the cloud that goes up, it's in the millions of degrees Celsius. So anything that that kind of heat touches just just melts, just just vaporizes. Um, but that's the sort of judgment that's coming through in the great tribulation. So we kind of get, thankfully, we God takes us out before that happens. But what about our loved ones and the people we know who will have to endure that? That's not, it should stir us, right? It should stir us to, to, to not be thinking, oh great, they get a second chance. If they don't make it in the first cut when we go up, there's still a second chance. We should be going, no, I don't even want those guys to go through that sort of stuff. So it should be changing our, our our thoughts about and the urgency, okay? Um, in Colossians one, some of them we read, and it's about in Christ, and he's before all things, and in, in him all things consists. Um, same, you know, all all things hold together. Some of some of you guys might have that as the translation. Um, yeah. So God's keeping this world together at the moment. In in an atom, and you have all these. Um, Positive charges from the protons. With real, you know, the physicists don't really know how that kind of all kind of hangs together. You know, there's quarks and things like that. They go, well, that kind of explain how. Yeah, maybe that's got some negative charge and, to keep this thing together. But we really, we kind of really don't know. Uh, or if you're a physicist, physicist, he doesn't believe in God. You don't know, but but God obviously keeps that together because the Bible says He He keeps this this thing together. But that's not going to happen when, um, when the day of the Lord happens. Um, but he's going to come as a thief in the night. And so there's going to be people who, um, are not expecting him. You know, these scoffers, you go, well, God's not going to come back. We're not going to be judged. They're going to, unfortunately, be caught out. Um, and so we have a role to play as a church to, to, um, Share and and just to be to be beat into that. Um, all right, verse eleven. Are we going for time? Okay. Um Holy and godly living. Okay. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and good godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to His promise, Look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Okay. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Last year in the news, um, in the U.S., there was a, a three hundred fifty million dollar, uh, fifty-eight story tower called the Millennium Tower, and is in San Francisco, and it made headlines because it it sunk. Uh, 16 inches, 40 centimeters in in seven years. The thing the thing was beginning to to tilt. Um, so so it only been developed seven seven years ago. Anyway, the engineers came in who were hired to assess it, and they said it was showing no immediate signs of stopping. So this tower's um, and it's been dubbed the the Leaning Tower of San Francisco. Anyway. But tenants who already own apartments, they can't sell these apartments for various reasons. Um, Poor Market value, obviously, what you bought bought for it, it's not going for the same amount. Um, And there's legal insurance constraints, and there's things going through council and so forth. Now, prospective purchasers are not looking for, if if they're looking for a proper apartment, no one's going to the Millennium Tower looking for, for cheap, Real estate, so it's, it's steer clear of that. Um, and no one in their right mind would invest in something like that um, that may not be around for seven years. Who, who knows how long this thing's going to be? It would be a ridiculous decision. This tower, it's there, but it's going to disappear. So similarly, as Christians, we don't want to conduct ourselves in a manner that is based on the current world, knowing that I think it's going to endure, but knowing, according to Scripture, it's going to dissolve. It's going to disappear. Um, so it's kind of disappearing. It's like, yeah, it's like investing in the Millennium Tower. You wouldn't, you wouldn't do it. Okay. What's the, what's the purpose of investing in something that's not going to be around? But rather, we should live our lives seeking first the kingdom of God and its righteousness. So Matthew 6.33 kind of gives us that instruction of how to prioritize our life. God first, everything else kind of comes, comes second. Um, but thankfully, God is concerned about the things in our lives. All right, that's yes, you know, so that's not only you know, for God, God. God provides for us, um, and so that's that's our holy conduct and that's our godliness, as as, as Peter's saying, asking, "What manner shall we walk in?" Um, Matthew chapter six, verse nineteen to twenty-one is where it talks about just about storing up treasures in on earth. Where moth and rust can destroy, uh, and where thieves can break in and steal, uh, and where his towers are tilting at sixteen inches. Um, but you know, lay up our treasures in—we're instructed to lay up our treasures in, in heaven. Now, people will last longer than this world, funnily enough. Okay, so after this earth and this, the heavens get dissolved, get melted people will still or at least our souls our spirits will still kind of survive through eternity and um, so we should be investing in things that enable those souls and those spirits to to get to be saved and, and have their eternity in, with in heaven okay um, you know there's probably plenty of people who want to get out of their own spiritual kind of millennium tower, for want of a better word, to, to something, to some safety. Um, but, that, you know, again, that's the opportunity we have to tell them. Um, and, then, you know, Jesus is like the engineer. Like, they've got engineers for the millennium tower. Jesus was is like the engineer for dealing with people's spiritual millennium tower. You know, and he, his verdict is, this thing's going to be knocked down. I'm going to start from scratch. Um, but he puts the offer out. He goes, be, be part of my, my millennium. He's got his own millennium. He's got his thousand year reign coming up. Um, all right. So, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord. Uh, so, did you know we, that we can actually hasten Jesus' return by our holy conduct and godliness? Um, I, I, to be honest with you, I'd never thought about that until I studied this passage. And yes, God is sovereign. And, um, he's in control. But somehow he factors into his sovereign plan our attitudes and our cooperation. And, and there's instances through scripture we see that. We see, you know, Joshua who's about going to fight the Amorites and they run out of time. And Joshua goes, Hey, God, we're running out of time. And then God just keeps the sun still in its place till, till the battle is won. Um But we see here, I mean, Peter says it, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord. So how, how does that, for us, how does that happen? So we can hasten the day of the Lord through evangelism. So there's a verse um, in Romans 11.25 where it talks about the, um, God's prophetic focus on Israel um, will resume when the fullness of the Gentiles has come. And it says, for I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Um, so getting, sharing and seeing people, um, get saved. Um, and also through prayer, we can hasten the Lord's coming through prayer. You know, in Daniel 9, there's an example, we read that Daniel asked for a, sp- a speedy fulfillment of prophecy. Regarding captive Israel. So, somehow God's got a sovereign plan and he's in control, but there's some sort of factor allowance that he allows for, somehow for us in, in that. Um, it's just interesting. Alright, uh, let's keep reading through. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells. And, Isaiah, um, if for some reason, my, my reference is dropped out. Um, refers to that and says, for, he says as well in Isaiah, for behold, I create new heavens and the new earth, and the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. And, yeah, the word there in, when it, Isaiah talks about, for behold, I create new heavens and the new earth, is this Hebrew word bara, which means to create something from nothing. And, you know, we look at this world and then we, we get really tired and frustrated with it. It's hard. it's hard. It's hard. Yeah, we all have trials, and some people are going through pretty hard trials at the moment and temptations. Um, but what Scripture says, what God's going to create is something new. He's not going to take this world and refurbish it and just make it better. You know, he's not going to extend onto it. He's going to start from scratch and, and create something new so that that's where we'll Experience eternity with, with that. Um, but the other thing I love is that there's—it's where righteousness dwells. And you know, I think again when I think about my own sinfulness, uh, and I think of those around me. Uh, I think of you guys now, <laughs> and you guys think of me likewise. And and things you don't like about me—you know—all that stuff, all that stuff will go, and we're going to just be. God's just gonna, don't. I don't. He's perfect, perfect, or what he, or what he wants us to be. Um. So we're gonna have a complete peace with God. No more guilt and despair um, that we experience in this life. So a place where righteousness dwells. Uh, all right. Let's keep going. Verse four in the fifteen. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless and consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. So let's look forward to these things. There's a bit of pr- preparation we we need to do for ourselves to go, well, when I observe these things happening, I don't want them just to overwhelm me and go, oh, scoffers and mockers and... All this stuff. I want to be prepared so that I'm taking the opportunities that God gives to me. God gives to you to reach these people who are lost, who don't know the truth. Um, Philippians three fourteen says, "I press toward the prize, the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in, in Christ Jesus." So that's, that's Philippians three fourteen. Um, so let's keep. So we're going to keep our eyes on the prize. Which is holiness through Jesus Christ. Um, but in those verses, it talks about being diligent and, and, you know, diligence, it's about having or showing caring conscience, conscientiousness in one's work or duties. So it's being intentional to do a a good job, not, you know, sometimes at work we can be, oh, that's close enough. But when we, when we're about our Father's work, about our Master's work, we want to do the We want to do the best that we can with the resources and the strength that he's given to us. Um, Yeah, Let's begin to really listen and obey his voice as he speaks to us through his word, as we pray or as we sing worship songs, whatever it may be, or he just speaks to you, speaks to your heart, that we begin to be, not that we aren't already doing it, but just to, again, I'm just saying it's an exhortation. Let's make sure we are. And sometimes God leads us to things which we think, oh, it's a little bit uncomfortable, God, I don't want to do that. But he doesn't do it unless he's going to to strengthen us or equip us. And also through that, he blesses us, okay? Gives us opportunity, but he blesses it. and gives us joy to do that. Um, and And let's be really challenging our relationships with him, just to be constantly going deeper, not just to be comfortable and not to be stirred up. You know, but just go, stir me up, Lord. I want I want more. I'm not comfortable just going through the motions of my, you know, my, you know, I might have a monotonous relationship and it needs to be freshened up. Let's seek that today, okay? God, how do you want me to be deeper in love with you, closer in love with you, and and, and to be really a good and faithful servant? All right. Um... But yeah, if our hearts are really set on, on the glory of the new heaven and the new earth, we will desire to walk godly. In regards to us, yeah, we will walk in peace. Um, but in regards to God we will be desiring to be well we are, yeah. If God's righteousness covers us, he views us as righteous, but yeah, we still have our sinful nature that causes us to, to falter. But we will want, we will want to put away those put away those things. So I started today um talking about being being prepared and, and uh you know time is short guys Yeah. The time short that the opportunities that God gives to us Let's take, let's take those opportunities, no matter how little or how big they may be. Let's encourage each other in those things. Um, I'm excited when I get, I'll repeat with Pete just the other week, just really, uh, just really excited and really encouraged by watching how God's just doing things in, in, in different people's lives. Um, and, yeah, this is not, you know, I'm not going to push, you know, it's not about pushing guys to do more or anything like that. It's just about us being, you know, God, am, am I being most efficient in the time that I have? Because the time is the only thing that we don't have unlimited resources of. We, have, we could get unlimited. We could find money, we could find other things, but time is something we don't have unlimited of. And so, that's a resource that we that, that you know God's put on my heart to say, hey, use your time effectively for, for me, okay? Um, so one last thing. We started with some quotes from some successful people, and I'll finish with this one. This is from another successful person, or at least a famous person. So this is from Jimmy Carter, who was a U.S. president. He goes, "This is about being prepared." He says, "We should live our lives." As though Christ was coming this afternoon. So. so, let's pray. Father, we 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 see the time short, Lord, and we we see the world that doesn't know you family, members, colleagues, God, loved ones, uh, just just even as a start, God, that there's just whole groups of people, Lord, who, whether they've heard the truth and have rejected you or they've heard the truth and and haven't seen how that uh, plays out in the life of a a believer. um, Who knows, God, but uh, you've called us to to reach this world, to, to reach this community, God, to reach the people that, um, we, uh, we see day in and day out. And you've given us your Holy Spirit to, to, to do the work that you've called us to do. And you've strengthened us. And you've been gracious to us, God, um, even in those times when, you know, we may not have done a, Done a great job for you, God, that you you persist and continue to, to use us, and we, we're thankful for that. Uh, we thank you for just your word today, and we do ask you would stir us. We do ask that you would give us a just a heart for those who are who are lost. That we wouldn't we wouldn't be satisfied, God, with the state. Where things are at, uh, we wouldn't be satisfied with um, uh, having having an easy life, Lord, or having a uh, a compromised life, or having a life that tries to um, juggle having you and on, in one one hands and the things of the world. And uh, so we desire, we desire just purity, and we desire just just focus, Lord, and and to be effective for you and uh yeah i thank you lord for the, the, this time we could spend together and just these precious brothers and sisters who uh, just week in and week out if we faithfully meet who are an encouragement to to me uh, just with the, uh, just you know lord the the trials, those who are going through tough things, we really um, just uplift them to you and pray that for your peace and your provision, Lord, just pr- provide, meet them where they're at. Enter. Yeah. yeah thank you again, and uh, just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So.